Like many of you, we battled depression during life's ups and downs. Music has always been the one thing that we could rely on to get us through the tough times that we all face. Follow us on our journey as we discuss the healing power of music, interview bands, break down genres, review band biographies, and more. This is the When Words Fail Music Speaks Podcast with Blake Mosley and James Cox. And now, the When Words Fail Music Speaks interview. Allowing them to keep the pace they always wanted. Uh, with the goal of creating the most compelling music that they could as around as a holistic way as possible. They draw a line from different stylistic influences, exploring the sounds and up to in their fulfillment. At the same time, though, it was important to go beyond this, bringing the ideas that they had been sharing prior to the band's in, in, inception. <laughs> Hey guys, what's going on? What's going on, James? How are you? All right. Hey, James, what's up, man? Pretty good. So we have Kyle Neely on guitar and Paul Christensen on the drums. My That's right. Co- yeah, my co-host is a drummer. He couldn't be here because he's packing to go to Disney. <laughs> and he's right leaving on. me out. He's leaving me. I love going to Disney. But it's like, uh, okay, well, I got to do the business work. And he, can, he gets all the, has all the fun, but... <laughs> Talking with you guys, it's it's fun for me. So thank you, thank you once again for coming on the show. Of course, man. You uh, know, I got a fu- I got a funny Disney story. I lost I lost my very first cell phone while riding Space Mountain. Is that right? <laughs> lost it. Yeah. Well, see, Space Mountain is, is is completely in the in the dark, right? Yes. So you can't really oh. see it. Yeah, it's like a yeah. Yeah, because it's a, like a roller coaster ride, and you see nothing but darkness, right, or something. Because I've never been on it, ever. Oh, you haven't? Oh, no, yeah. Okay. It's like uh, it takes you on this roller coaster ride through space, and it's fully—I mean, it's—it's it's practically you know pitch black in there. And so, yeah, trying to find the cell phone afterwards, there was no hope for that. It was in my pocket before, and it wasn't afterwards. So, oh, I yeah. guess you had to. So, so I guess you had to uh, uh, use your uh, partner's phone or something to. to find out where it is or did you did or did they find it for you no they definitely did not find it for me that was way back in like 2005 or something like that so i just sucked it up and went without a cell phone until the next week when i got one because you could do that back then you know right you can't do that now no no it seems like seems like everybody's phone is hooked hooked on your hip or something you know oh yeah absolutely Uh, so i was stalking your your instagram page and that's great I love your Instagram page. I use oh, that thanks, term. Man. I use that term loosely because it's research, but I like to do stalking. Um, <laughs> Let's call it what it is, right? Right, it's right. quite all right. We all stalk each other one time or another, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, Paul, uh, drummer, uh, I saw on your Instagram page that you had a like a, uh, a stress fracture in your right foot. Is that true? Okay. That is now, correct. That is, yeah. Now, how do you do it, and is that completely healed right now? Uh, it's not completely healed, but it's well on the way. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm babying it right now. You know, it's it's. Uh, I I 
I didn't even really do anything dramatic to it. I practiced a bunch and then, uh, you know, went for a jog and stuff. And by the end of that day, I couldn't put weight on the foot. Right. Uh, but uh, went to the doctor, got the boot. I have the boot on right now, man. Oh, yeah, nice. nice. So we had to, had to reschedule a couple of shows about it. But I'm on the bed for sure. Yeah. I, I, I think I know what you were doing to make it to make it fresher. You were trying to pretend to be Thomas from Mashuga. And you and you played way too hard. I don't know how that guy makes. And that that Thomas man, he can go, can he? The, oh yeah, no, he's uh he's practiced once or twice. He's like, There's no <laughs> yeah. two ways about that, man. Uh, right, right, because because uh, it's 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 funny the way he plays because because he um from my hearing, which is not accurate at at this time, but uh it sounds like he's playing uh, one one song on his uh, on the on the bass pedals. And then on the snare, he's playing a totally different rhythm on his snare. Uh, that is probably the most accurate assessment I've ever heard anybody make. Right. Um, Kyle and I, in our music, write a lot of pop. Like, we we don't know any sugar covers, but we came up with a proprietary system for writing parts in that style. And essentially what's going on is the hands are moving you know, in four, one, two, three, four, or in six or something like that. Right. But you've got an odd numbered pattern on the kick drum and on the guitar right. that just, it cycles over. It takes a certain amount of cycles for everything to meet back up on beat one again. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've been doing that for a long time. We caught, because of a, a story that I will regale you with, James, hopefully some other time, uh -huh. uh, <clears throat> We refer to those as wisdom parts. Yeah, we, there's a it's a, yeah it's, it's a funny story. A rehearsal studio that we were at back in New Jersey, uh, somebody kind of accidentally created that term. But that's what we call wisdom parts. When the hands are in a straightforward time and you can count it two, three, four, but the feet are locked in in some pattern in five or seven or nine. We have like a whole system that we worked out for how to write that stuff. So yeah, nice. the, the great irony being that. You're not wrong when you say that I was kind of doing my Thomas Haka impersonation. Yeah. In, in fact, yeah, Mashuga is one of our biggest influences. So you hit that nail right on the head. Yeah. Buddy. Bullseye, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Bing. Yeah. I don't think anybody anybody can. Uh, well, I I think Neil Park can touch him. Well, I don't know because Neil Neil Park's on a totally different level, you know. Because they say that 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 either John Bonham or Neil Park. It's always been the war between them. Who's better? I personally think that Bonham is, but but that's my, you know, I mean, I, I so what do you think is, is is it John Bonham or is it Neil Peart, which the, the better drummer? It's so funny that it, this is even coming up. We were just having this conversation what a week ago. Yeah, I'll, really? so. I'll take it, dude. Run, run yeah, that one. <laughs> the uh, well, the, the truth of the matter is, is uh, uh, like a fish can't climb a tree. I think it's apples and oranges. Yeah. Bottom, like you think you like when the levee breaks or. Uh, immigrant slog or anything like that it's such such an amazing approach and such a distinct personality and style but then neil peart had his own distinct personality and style sure there's some venn diagram crossover between their worlds but it's almost i i, I begin, you know as time is going on i've almost begun to feel a, a little bit more like somebody's musical personality is a reflection of their personality as a human being right. you know who, who's the better person you know you can't almost make that argument um but uh 
I'll tell you what, they're both kicking my butt. That's all <laughs> that I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, uh, um, yeah, because music is very, um, it's, it's very, like, I, I, I mean, like, one thing about it, and you might like a totally different thing. That's okay. That's okay, you know. So it's oh, all, yeah, absolutely. It I, think that's what, I think that's one of the beautiful things about music, James, it is. is that at, in, at particularly now at a time where there's a lot of division, a lot of people are upset with one another over this, that, and the other thing, when it comes to, like, is Bonna better? Is Neil Peart better? Is Dennis Chambers or Dave Weckl or Thomas Aka or Gene Hoagland? Everyone's right. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you, you know what I'm saying? Like it's that's the beautiful thing about art music is do you like it? Well, then it's right. Everyone gets everyone is the best, you know, if you like it. So, so, so Kyle, um, going to you on, on injuries, uh, what's been your worst injury and what's been your least worst or, or like almost nothing injury? Oh man. So, yeah, it's funny we're talking about injuries. Injuries have been coming up a lot lately. So, uh, <laughs> definitely the worst injury uh, I've had that was band related was uh, we played the Area 51 festival a couple of years back when all that hysteria was going on. And uh, a, a dude got past security and got up on stage. And uh, I thought he was going to give me a hug. <laughs> and once he got his arms around me, he screamed in my ear and then bit down on my earlobe like Mike Tyson and went through my ear and so I'll try and give you the the close-up yeah. it's going to be rough to see but yeah. I still got the scar um, from where he bit through there and uh, I had to go and get shots for about 12 months afterwards because from what the doctor tells me a human bite is like one of the worst things that you can get <laughs> I had right. to go get you know, like STD shots, tetanus shots, HIV shots, all kinds of, all kinds of stuff because they just don't know what dude had, you know? Right. It's like a Komodo dragon bite, dude. It's, it's the bacteria and it's, stuff. It's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, with the Komodo, you could die like, like, in like, what, like 15 minutes or something, right? So that's pretty bad. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, we saw that guy a little bit later on because he wasn't, he didn't get picked up by security immediately. And I mean, it looked like he had eaten a Komodo dragon. He was out of his mind. <laughs> yeah. So he, he was eventually uh, wrangled up by a handful of security guys and he had to be, I remember seeing him being drug out of yeah. that particular festival. Yeah. So um, I guess my, my least my least worst injuries or whatever but ones that are still very annoying is uh i play a particular brand of strings right. and uh i change my strings just about every show uh because i sweat so much it just like eats through the hardware on my on my guitar and on my strings um and it, upon doing so the new nyxls i don't know if i got a bad batch of nyxls or something but they've literally been cutting through my calluses on my fingers and down to the raw skin and the nerves God. and we'll be out on tour and we, we you gotta play you know so yeah. uh that doesn't sound that bad but man it hurts it hurts yeah. really bad man well, well well when you're playing some like fast subdivided thing on guitar and the string goes into the wound dude. yeah that's you know <laughs> right yeah so um Cr it, cringy it, to say the least have you tried uh, a a party called gorilla snot it's only oh, for yeah. guitars that, that, that yeah. doesn't work does that you work? know what 
I got my hands on the Gorilla Snot the first time it came off, and I don't know if I just didn't give it enough time to set in, uh, but it came off, I'd say, maybe, like, 10 minutes into the set. Oh, and okay. then it was like, oh, my God, even worse. Um, what I found helps the best is the liquid skin or new skin, and then the tiny little, like, uh, wart Band-Aids. The, oh, the yeah. tiny yeah. Tiny, right. tiny little wart band-aids, and I'll put it right over the tips of my fingers just to almost like give myself a pad. And those will stay on for the whole set. Um, yeah. because the liquid skin almost acts as glue to hold the band-aid on. Yeah. And uh, but oddly enough, by the end of those shows, the band-aid is completely destroyed. And I mean, I've gotta like soak my fingers to get the band-aid off and stuff, and I'm picking yeah. that out of the wound. It gets my fingers get infected. It's disgusting, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. But uh, going back to that guy who bit you, I think he was a Slayer fan. <laughs> those that guys is fair. are those guys are like obnoxious, awesome at the same time. But you know, I mean, they're 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 rough. They're rough, you know. So who knows, you know? Um, we, but, um, we didn't see him. We didn't see him carving Slayer into his arm. Okay, but you know that it, you know that it happened. <laughs> right, once, twice in his life, yeah. So that's right. Uh, right. So, uh, for anybody who wants to go to the in in Instagram, uh, it's uh, pathos dot logos logo l o g o s. That's and, correct. Okay, so y'all have a little mini series called, uh, let's see here. It's called sound a sound sound check sound check. That's right. And I love that show, man. Because y'all gave me an idea for this show today that I'm going to that, I, that I'm going to test on you um uh in a, in a minute, but okay. uh, but but soundcheck is where y'all talk about different albums albums you love albums you might not love you know and mm -hmm. uh, we're le learning about things in music like like Kyle uh, demonstrated how he uh, um he uh, lowered his accent on his guitar and and taught you how you can do it. So that's, yep. that's awesome, because I was a guitarist. I can't play guitar with crap anymore, dude. It's, it's horrible. <laughs> horrible. You don't want me to play guitar for any time of the day. Uh, uh, but, oh, okay, so so which one did I talk to uh, yesterday on Instagram when I messaged you? Was uh, it Kyle? I think maybe both of us. Yeah, a little bit of both okay. of us. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay, nice, nice. It's always good to talk to both of you. But um, my idea is uh, I saw your... The albums um, on uh, Soundcheck, your mini series, and mm -hmm. I took I, I took inspiration for that. So I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to call this one Vinyl Showcase. Okay, so All what right. I'm going to do? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big vinyl collector. I, I I love vinyl now. So so what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a vinyl, and you're going to say if you like it, if you love it, you know what's your first thought, and 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 if you have any memories about how that music moved you, you know we can do it. Okay. Gotcha. And I do have a lot of vinyls, so if you, you so if y'all get bored of this, just tell me and we'll move on to the next question. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we got oh. bleach. I, I okay, so I this was one of the videos that, that I saw you do the first time. Mm -hmm. And y'all had a lot of great things to say. So what do you <laughs> think about this one? Okay, I'll go ahead and start with this one. I, I have a funny story about this album, actually. So, as everybody knows, this is the first Nirvana release, right? Yeah. Um, and I think this one came out in 89, if I recall correctly. So, um, I remember going to get... I, I was already into Nirvana. I'd already heard Nevermind. I had In Utero. I had Incesticide. So, I went to a used CD shop and saw Bleach on the counter. 
And so I picked it up, bought it, and went to my car, put it in, and I hated it. <laughs> I put it because it didn't sound. The production was not there, you but know. That, but but see, that's what makes it great today, you know. That's I mean, correct. Right? Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you because it goes to show you in just the span of a couple of years that band went from bleach to never mind, which completely changed the landscape of musical history. Right? Yeah. yeah. So. Um, it, it goes to show you, especially now that I've had time to reflect on it, that you can't judge an album by a cover, by its cover. And also production helps. Yes. <laughs> production is yeah. a big part of what makes a band. Right. Because with the production on Bleach, they probably wouldn't have made it. But you put Butch Vig into the equation and you put out Nevermind. The next thing you know, you know, uh, 80s hair metal bands are cutting their hair and changing their sound, you know. Yeah. Wearing, and wearing um, um, Lumberjack. Church. <laughs> yeah, the plaid, everything. Yeah. <laughs> my high school career was built on plaid, everything. My mom got so mad yeah. at me. She's like, why won't you? I'm like, it's the mom, come on, you know? And she got so upset at me. Yeah. It's not It's not a phase, mom. It's my life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And that's what I live. Yeah. So um, so I, I don't know if, if y'all know this, but there's um, on the back it says Kurt Cobain, Chris Novoselic, Bachat Chaining on drums. But who is the fourth guy? There's there's one, two, three, four. Who is that guy? That's right. I don't know who that guy is. I don't think it's Pat Smear, is it? Little no. known fact, it's actually the Loch Ness Monster. You heard it here first, oh, ladies and gentlemen. It yeah. rose up out of the lake, learned guitar, tuned the entire thing to see standard, threw on a distortion box, and went nuts. So big muff in the Loch Ness. Yeah, right. And uh, they spelled Kurt wrong. K U. Oh no way! Yeah. Yeah. Oh I'm, man. I'm, I'm not sure if that's on the original album, but 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 this is a reissue, and they might have misspelled it just for the reissue. Oh, but, that's uh, hilarious! Oh, look at that. Yeah. Oh, this is All fun. Right. I'm enjoying this. Nice. Misfits, American Psycho. Now, if you uh, allow me to to reiterate, this album is a non-givable album. All the songs are great. I love I love um, Michael Graves on this album. I think he's the best singer from Misfits. Nope, no, no, no hate to Glenn, but uh, I, I, I just think that he, he fit this album perfectly. What do you all guys think of that, about, about this? Now, you, you know what? Actually, no. You, you've got me at a weak point here. I am forced to reveal that I haven't heard a huge amount of Misfits material outside of the Glenn Danzig stuff, dude. Right. This is so. What I take away from this is I look at that, and obviously you selected that album because you said everything, every track you couldn't skip it. So I feel like now all I got to do, I got some homework to do. <laughs> That's what I got. I got to get. Yeah, I got to get that record. Well, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, James, but Danzig only put out like one or two Misfits records, didn't he? Everything else after that had different singers on it, right? I don't know. I think he put out like, no, well, my God, I got to do, I got to do some homework now too. <laughs> I don't know. We all we all have assignments. <laughs> well, so what I'm really where I'm getting at there is, I mean, I am familiar. I'm not familiar with the Danzig stuff. I've pretty much only heard the Michael Graves stuff. Yeah. Oh wow. So I'll yeah, it, uh, and 
I mean, I, I'm a fan. I like it. I think it's got a harder edge to it because if you listen to the original Misfit stuff, yes, it's it's heavy and stuff, but it doesn't have like that slamming distortion that you would right. get from yeah. a more modern Misfits record. Um, yeah. Once again, it boils down to production for me, you know? Right. James, I just realized that between the two of us, we make one entire Misfits fan. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, which is great. Great. I love the Misfits. Although, Dor- I, I did tweet Dorio to me, like, like when we first started this podcast because we want him out here. And I said, who do we have to get to ask to ask for if you can come back on, come come on here? And he says, two words, you don't. I'm like, <laughs> oh, man. What oh, a way that's to shoot, awesome. What a way, to, way to shoot me down. But that's okay because I said a little bit of the devil anyway. All right. So oh. That, oh, I see. I misunderstood. I guess I did too. Sabbath, dude. The Dio, the the human Dio years, Dio years straight yeah. up. Yeah. Now, got this, this is no, this is important actually. James is like channeling some external cosmic force, and like it's like he has a sensitivity. He can tell that I don't know the Dio stuff as well as the Ozzy stuff. Is that record incredible or what? This was a no skipper, dude. No skipper, okay. also no skipper. I do love this song. I and uh, and two and, and letters from Earth, but this, this whole album is is pure genius. I love the 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 Dio years more than Ozzy. Is that uh, right? Well, um, I mean, uh, I you know you, you can say what you will about who you like better as a singer, right. but what I know to be true is that the people who are into the Dio stuff are into the Dio stuff, and it's easy to do. Yeah. He's a legend. The guy had oh, an yeah. incredible voice. Yeah, absolutely. Kyle, what do you think about the, about the Dehumanizer vinyl? Um, Dehumanizer is classic Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath album, man. I mean, uh, I personally prefer the Dio stuff over the Ozzy stuff. I've this is gonna sound terrible, guys. I've never been a fan of Ozzy's voice ever. So you know, I respect the I respect what he's done for the genre and the craft and everything. But I I'm not usually getting up putting on anything with Ozzy's voice in it. Yeah. So yeah. So, uh, long ahead. live Black Sabbath. Uh, I guess not long live Black Sabbath with Dio, but rest in power to Dio, right? There we go, yeah. And, okay, so the next final is, is very near and dear to my heart, and I know it is to you because this is the second video I saw of y'all uh, on on your miniseries. Oh, my God. It is Stone Pipe Purple Record. And this is sentimental to me because this came out in, what, 93? You know? Yeah. 93 uh, is the, yeah, you've got 93. like the hologram version or something there. This is the, this is the deluxe version. I go all out when I, I spend way too much, y'all. On, on, <laughs> on, 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 oh my god, that that that, that misfits of uh, American Psycho is like worth a lot. I mean, I, spend, and I should have paid, paid, paid that much, but uh, what, if you need it, you need it, dude. Hey, yeah, yeah, so. Um, vinyl, vinyl, I mean, the vinyl is art at this point. I mean, I think that's why a lot of people are going back to it. And we'll we'll circle back to that topic a little bit yeah, later. But yeah. yeah, man, Stone Temple Pilots, I still actually, I could tell you what record store I went to to purchase that. It was called Angelo's CDs and Tapes, located on Colorado Boulevard down in Thornton, Colorado. The day that that fucking thing came out, I begged my mom to drive me down there. So she put me in the Astro Van because I was only 11 years old. And then drove me down to Angelo's CDs and tapes. I purchased this on on cassette tape while she went inside 
King Supers and got groceries. So you lost that as you're going back home, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I cracked that sucker open. I sat in the van and listened to it because she left me with the keys so I could listen to the tape until she was done. And then I made her listen to it all the way home. I remember mom, list, she heard like the intro to Meat Plow and she was like, what is this, son? What are we listening Dude, to? Dude, Meat Plow is the single greatest song on your besides Silver Gun Superman. Oh, Silver Gun Superman. Good, good use of Silver Gun Superman. I, I love Meat Plow as well. Um, right. I think that's a classically underrated Stone Temple Pilots song. Yeah. Um, dude, I could do a whole podcast about STP. For, yeah. for the longest time, Stone Temple Pilots was my favorite band. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I, I, what do you think about Jeff Good? He's like the new singer. He's like, like him. Like him. I think he sounds good. I mean, he's not Scott Weiland, you know what I mean? Nobody ever will be. Yeah. But yeah. he, he uh, this is controversial hot hot take. I like him more than the new Soundgarden singer. Whoops. Just throwing that out there. So, wait, so, wait, Soundgarden has a new singer? Yeah, Soundgarden's been touring or has been playing with a new singer for a while. It's just not uh, well, because no, nobody could be Chris Cornell. Yeah, even on, if someone's right. doing a good job. Come on, yeah. dude, Chris Cornell. Whoa, best voice in like the rock and roll history. Okay, so yeah. the next album is very sentimental to me. So if you don't agree with me, have a nice time. No, I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> I love y'all. Okay, so um, Death Notes or Incubus? Which one do you cater towards? Oh, because. Because before you answer, I will tell you that the next final record is White Pony. There you go. This is my life, y'all. This is my bread and butter. I can't, I, I can't express to you how this album makes me feel. So Buddy, I, I'm right there with you, my man. Deftones and I go way back. So yeah. when my personal favorite Deftones album is Around the Fur, the one yes. previous to the one you're holding up there. Yes. Uh, but White Pony is, I mean, everybody would probably argue that that is their best album. That album debuted at number one, which is mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, I still remember the picture in Rolling Stone of all the Deftones dudes behind uh, backstage, like partying with champagne and stuff, having like champagne dumped on their heads and stuff. It was, yeah, I was, I was excited for those guys, but, um, dude, White Pony is a classic. I mean, you've got the song with Maynard on there, Passenger, if Passenger, I recall yeah. correctly. Passenger, yeah. Uh, Change in the House of Flies. Um, I think is, uh, what's the other one on there? Um, Korea is the heavy Korea. track on there. Yeah. Love Korea. Korea is heavy, man. That it's interesting that the subject should come up because when uh, Deftones was first coming out, I actually missed the boat on them, dude. I had heard a couple of songs and I liked what I'd heard, but I was at that time principally focused on Korg. I really, really liked Korg. Yeah. And so the truth of the matter is, is that Kyle and I have actually discussed the Deftones a lot. And whenever we're out, whenever we're out on the road, it's funny that we should be talking about the Deftones and about STP because we bump those two albums that you just showed. Right. Uh, we listen to those a lot when we're on the road. That's true. Yeah. So, I, so it's almost like I, it's almost like I'm getting my education about the Deftones now, and uh, it does give me a little bit of a feeling of like, why wasn't I listening to this right. <laughs> when it first came out? You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, go okay. ahead. Man. Oh yeah, because 
Because one time, back in my high school days, I, I'm, I'm 42, so that's a long time ago. Uh, I had the, the, the red cover album. Well, th- 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 this was all white pony covers, okay? Mm-hmm. I had the, the, and the red cover, the black cover, the gray cover, and the white cover. So now I had the next four CDs just because the color changed. Yeah. I'm like, they made a red cover. I got to get this, you know? Well, I had the red cover, too. I had yeah. the red cover and the white cover. And, yeah. uh, I, dude, right there with you. I'm a huge Deftones fan. I was kind of like with Paul. I was really into corn. Um, but what what set the Deftones apart for me personally is the drums. Um, I know I'm a guitar player, but I, I started out wanting to play the drums. And when I heard the Deftones drummer, Abe Cunningham, yeah, it was it was a game changer for me. I killer, mean, the, yeah. the sound of his drums, the way he would never do a fill the same way twice. Uh, I mean, I, I would listen to the Deftones for the drums, which sounds crazy because I wasn't, I'm not a drummer, right? I, I, but I would hear Abe Cunningham and it, it just blew my mind. And so I just, I don't know, dove deeper and dove deeper and dove deeper. And he just doesn't suck, man. He's still so good. He so just good. kept it and built on it. Right. Kyle, I don't. You didn't bring this up yet, but uh, one of the things that we've talked about at great length when we're talking about the Deftones, we're out on the road, is okay. What is the Deftones track? Because I know it's a Deftones track. That, in your opinion, not just the, like as a guitar player, but principally as an engineer, that you always say is the best recorded drums you've ever heard. Oh, uh, that is "Shove It," the song "Shove It." Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, my, my own summer, I, I guess. Is oh the name my of the song. god! Yeah. yeah, that's the only vinyl record that I don't have of the Deftones. So I it heard up. it's kind of hard to find on vinyl. It is. It's is that true? Extremely hard. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. They all they all go with skyrocket. You know. Um, that's nuts, dude. But yeah, with, with the intro to that song is just a simple kick snare. Right. Yeah. But you can hear, I guess, from a production standpoint, man, like you can hear the it's you can hear the room he's in. You can hear the reverb tails. You can hear like I don't know, man. It instantly puts you into a specific time and place, and then the record takes off, and you're on a trip, bro. Yes, it's like yeah. <clears throat> the production on that album by Terry Date is magic, just right. magic. Do you all remember watching MTV's Unplugged? Oh yeah, yeah. Which which unplugged is your favorite favorite one of all? I would have to say the two that I liked the best were going to be your Nirvana and I remember the Alice in Chains Dude. one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so can you explain to me why that this is your favorite ever of the unplugged series or one of them? For my part, I think. I blend that, like that unplugged in kind of just with my entire experience as a kid listening to Nirvana. Nirvana was like, I don't know, they're just larger than life, man. When they hit, when Nevermind hit, they were just like riding the top of the wave. And I just remember watching that on MTV and just being spellbound, dude. It was so good. Dude, I remember where I was when I got told about Kurt, so you know, yeah. so like it's that like the way that people say that they remember where they were when JFK was shot. I remember was where I was when I heard about Kurt Cobain. One of the teachers came into the room and was like, "I have some bad news." So to me, just that the unplugged the the Nirvana unplugged band 
just everything about it. It just kind of fits into this grand amalgam of positive memories that I have of listening to Nirvana as a kid. It was just awesome. Right. Yeah, and uh, I guess to kind of piggyback on that, I, I, I'd like to point out that Nirvana, before Kurt, you know, did the thing, they didn't, their catalog wasn't vast, right? A lot of albums have come out posthumously. So at that point in time, you really had Bleach, which a lot of people, I mean, either loved it or hated it, right? Right. But a lot of people who were fans because of Nevermind and In Utero we're finding it very tough to get into bleach okay so then you've got never mind you get you get in utero and then you've got the incesticide compilation of all the old albums and then you've got unplugged and that's it dude you know what i mean yeah, that's yeah. it i like unplugged because they're doing songs outside of the nirvana catalog yeah you know yeah they're they're, they're covering the meat puppets yep and, and david bowie which is david bowie great yeah i think it's uh um, was that man who sold the world? Bingo. Yes, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, Kyle, I have to say this because you said it twice. You said in utero, in utero. Oh, you don't know that you did this, but you subtly combined the name in utero, the Nirvana record, <laughs> with the recording engineer Dave Otero. Oh no. <laughs> Awesome. I said That's yes. Awesome. So I said that makes sense. Kyle's an engineer, so I think you just kind of like art fucked those together. I did. I just art fucked those together. I apologize to everybody out there. You That's know fine. what? That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, because because it's funny that you said that 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 uh, listeners from in utero. Aha! I got it. Yeah. Uh, there and, you go. And never mind. Can't go back and listen to Bleach because it's not the same quality. I had that. Same experience with Metallica. The mm. first album I ever bought, or my mom got me, thanks mom, was the, the Black Album. Nice. And then I tried, and then I bought Ride the Lightning. I thought, this is not the same guys that were on the Black Album, you know, because it's totally. be different. And I'm like, what the hell am I listening to here? Lo and behold, that that is him, you know. But, but I, I because because James didn't have a. James then mature as you know as as you mature, the voice changes you know and, and everything is just faster. I I I had no idea about, about that. So yeah, so that was a good you know. James, let me turn it around on you. Let me ask you this. All right. So then you had obviously you started with the Black Album. What was that? Was that Bob Rock? Bob Rock produced Bob Rock, the Black Album. Yeah, yeah. So now you ended up picking up Ride the Lightning. It was a little challenging for you at first. You were like, wait a minute, this doesn't really sound and feel the same. Did that record grow on you? Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. It did. There are all songs on it that I that I love forever, you know. Like for yeah. those, come on. Can't, you know, oh, yeah. Well, you can't go wrong, dude. You can't <laughs> go wrong with For Who the Bell Tolls. Yeah, you really play. can't. And it's funny you would ask that because I was wondering the same thing because you go from Black Album, which is a arguably one of the best produced metal albums of all time, still to this day, right? Right. Um, and then you compare that to even the, the three prior. So you've got Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and Justice for All, who were all done by the same producer over in Sweden. So you've got two very different production techniques at place there. Um, yeah. I, it, did you find it difficult to get into Master of Puppets and Justice for All as well? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think that 
Master Puppets. Okay, so when I listened to Ride the Lightning, it sounded similar to Master Puppets, so I was fine with that. Okay. The jump from Master to Justice really threw me off because his, you know, like I said, voice changes and everything, it was getting twice as fast. But I will tell you this, Justice for All is my favorite album of all Metallica albums. I just there you thought, go. Yeah. 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 So, that's great. The reason why I brought up Metallica is, I'm going to ask you a very hard question now. Metallica or or Megadeth? Ooh. Ooh. I'll th- I'll go first on that one. Please do. Uh, as far as modern stuff, we were just listening to the new Megadeth, and the new Megadeth is awesome. Please yeah. Done, yes. It's really really good. As a matter of fact, we were listening to it on the way to where did we play last? Oh no, we had our uh, we did a listening party over in Omaha, in Nebraska. Omaha. That's right. So we were on the way to Omaha, and we were when we're on the way to shows, we'll oftentimes listen to new tracks and stuff like that. So we put that on. I thought it was an old song that had been remastered. Paul had to tell <laughs> yeah. me like, no, that's the new track, yeah, dude. Right, that yeah. just dropped. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I guess I would say for the current stuff, I like the Megadeth stuff. But when you go back to the classics, um, I mean, you know, dude, everything Metallica put out, Ride the Lightning through Black Album is really just hard to fuck with. Uh, and, yeah. and the only the only Megadeth album I actually owned from the classic days was the first one, P-Cells, But Who's Buying? I just, I just that was their second album. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not that one, the one... Uh, it's called Killing Is My Business and Business, business is Good. I just, yeah. I just bought that record a, couple, a few days ago. I bought the Deluxe because I'm a sucker for like B-sides and whatever. But once again, a lot of money. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Paul, Metallica or Megadeth? I would, I, I'm with, like Kyle was saying, that new Megadeth stuff is fantastic. Right. And uh, another interesting thing characteristic that we had talked about momentary sidebar is that over the years Dave Mustaine has had a variety of different musicians whereas the only musicians in Metallica that have ever changed were the bass players it's not like there's been a ton of them but uh, so you know I don't know there's an interesting energy there you have Mustaine where he's kind of changing his personnel. He's got a powerful band. He doesn't he have uh, uh, Dirk Verburen right on drums from uh, he was in Soil. Shout out to Dirk and Soil. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But um, so yeah, definitely like into some of the like the recent um, Megadeth stuff. But I guess if you really had to weigh it out, I gotta go to the Metallica man. There was just yeah, yeah. I was and I resisted at first. I had a weird thing when I was first being exposed to Metallica where all of my friends were talking about Metallica and I almost was a little bit like mad at it. I was all like, I'm not shut up about Metallica. And then my <laughs> buddy, my buddy, Scott Pickell, shout out to Scott Pickell. What's up, Scott? His name has come up in a couple of, uh, of interviews that we've had the good fortune to do recently. But Scott made me my first Metallica tape and he was like, Ooh. Paul, you are going to to listen to this. <laughs> I will beat you with a tire iron if you do not listen to this tape. And I acquiesced and I'm glad that I did. It was actually funny. We should be talking about it. A lot of the tracks from Ride the Lightning were on that first tape. And some of the ones from Master of Puppets and stuff. And it, uh, I'll say, it did not take me very long to figure it out. I said, okay. Right. You know, this is very obviously incredible music. Yeah. 
I would have to agree with you 100% on the Metallica. I, I, I would I would prefer Metallica over Megadeth, but Megadeth, man, come on, right? <sighs> come on. You you have to, you this. cannot deny their legendary status. No, definitely not. You got and, Nick Mintza and, uh, and uh, who else I got? Margie Friedman. Yeah, Friedman. classic. Yeah, so, yeah, so. Uh, I, I I would imagine that this would this this would be their black album because I I I have heard anybody say anything bad about this record. I've never heard anything. The things that I hear about Megadeth and what was hard for me to get into about Megadeth wasn't the music; it was Mustaine's vocals. Yeah, that's it was tough for me to get past that, and especially like in the early days, man, almost like nails on a chalkboard sometimes. Yeah. But the music of every, you know, the everything else that's going on is so awesome. You know, after a while, you can get past it. But nowadays. He sounds like he was like gritty. Yeah. Yeah. It was you know, it's it's funny that this subject should come up as a band that does not have a singer. Mm -hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Right, you're right, that yeah. you you find that that's true in a lot of cases. For for a lot of people, depending on what the music is and what the band is, there's a line in the sand about the singer. Yep. They can't get past the vocals, even if they think the music is good. You hear people you know, ranging anywhere from uh, Ozzy to Getty Lee from Rush. You know, now, and people are very polarized about it. They either love that music or it's, oh, it's, you find that it's the singer that they keep bringing up. And so uh, I would say that, you know, it, the reason why we're a duo as Pathos and Logos it has more to do with just the difficulty of keeping personnel around us. Whenever a previous project kind of shut down, right. we always just, we found that we were the ones that wanted to keep going. So we just kind of distilled it down to two guys. But part of doing that has involved eliminating a vocalist. Mm -hmm. And, uh, just, you know, we, we, it's, I don't know. I, I like to believe that that's afforded us the opportunity to reach across the aisle maybe a little bit more easily. Nice, nice. For 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 our audio listeners, I held up "Rest in Peace" by by Megadeth. That's that's probably that's probably the uh, the the most rare album that that there ever is from from Megadeth. You know, I don't know, but oh, uh, why why would you say that that's the the rarest of? Cause cause that's an interesting statement. Okay, because because we can find um uh hold on. Oh, you because you can find this one at any mom and pop shop. It's a look, it's a uh, sales. You can find this anywhere. You gotcha. Can, okay. You can find uh, Kelly. This one business business is good. You can almost find Super Collider anywhere. You can't find Rust and Peace anywhere. I had to order so, it. I, I had a special order it. Yeah. So, James, so you're speaking as a collector because you're a big collector. Yes. Sir. So you're finding okay. So you're finding that that's rusted piece that's hard to come by just as a physical album on vinyl. Yes. Yes. Oh well. Wow. Oh, I mean, of course you didn't download it on your phone any given day, you know. But, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> digital is is awesome, but it's at the same time because I don't think uh, artists get paid their dues when it comes to digital stuff, and that's a that's a big deal right now. So yeah. Agreed. But, but as far as a collector, that's my. Um, outlet is is Rust Peace is one of the rarest I think. But, uh, huh. hmm. few, few, That's few, interesting. Few records, not too far. Um, we got Mister Tangent. Oh, 
this album spawned a straight hold and uh and uh that's probably it. That's that's his biggest his biggest ever song, I think. Besides Cat Scratch Fever. I was gonna say Cat Scratch yeah. Fever, yeah. yeah. And I remember a, a weird factoid. I can't remember if it's Stranglehold or Cat Scratch Fever now. I think it's Cat Scratch Fever, but I don't think Ted Nugent does the vocals on Cat Scratch Fever. It's somebody else, and he's just fucking ripping guitar the whole time. Okay, so you you got it right, but you got that, that on. Okay, so Stranglehold is a song that you think that, that that's the thing. He didn't sing on Stranglehold. He sang on. Oh, Stranglehold. Oh, Stranglehold. So, Stranglehold. Yeah, so you had, Stranglehold. Okay. Yeah, so you, you you had the right, but the wrong song, which is God. fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ted, you you can't go wrong with Mr. Uncle Ted. You know, Ted Nugent's done some great great stuff. Um. Absolutely did, and super underrated guitar player at yeah. this at this time in the game. I mean, I think people recognized him as a excellent guitar player at his t- for his time. But now that we're you know forty fifty years down the road, I feel like you just don't hear people. People are more upset about his hunting and stuff, but they don't yeah give um, him any they don't give him any credit for the dude can shred. Yeah, yeah. Ted Nugent is an incredible guitar. Yeah, you do. You almost see when you see him in the media these days. It's for other reasons. And I'm like, how is it that the fact that he's this ridiculous guitar player is now an afterthought? Yeah. <laughs> how is that a thing? Um, I, over the course of the last couple of years, played with a Colorado artist uh, called Michael Morrow. And Michael Morrow, you know, very like, you know, great guitar player, great songwriter. It was a, a pleasure playing with him. And we covered Stranglehold. Ooh. And yeah, dude, Not, and, dude. And he, yo, he does it justice, dude. Michael Morrow, he does, yeah, he really, you can tell that he kind of poured himself into that song. And it was like the guy was in a trance on stage when we played it. Yeah. And what I found is that there's certain things about playing Stranglehold that are very straightforward, but it's, uh, James, how long is that song? Do you know off the top of your head the length of that song? Seven minutes and 40 six seconds maybe it's it's long just shy just shy of eight minutes of music and you know i'm an everyday practicer uh that's why my foot is in a boot right now (laughs) (laughs) but uh but so i i practice every day and i always practice to a metronome but that's the one thing that i remember about playing stranglehold man is being able to keep that solid tempo for eight minutes you know, it's not every day you got to play a song that's eight right. minutes long, exactly. and it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Seems like, it sounds like he, that 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 he would have like a few bathroom breaks in between them, but you can <laughs> you know, please. I mean, the line, come on now, you gotta have good good to the bathroom sometimes. Uh, <laughs> you know, so all right. So Chris Cornell is one of the pivotal artists of all time, and this is my favorite Soundgarden album ever. Oh, it's, um, okay. Oh shit. If, oh, you, if you were gonna have a favorite, man, you know, that's, that's the that's, that's a that's a good one to pick. Yeah, that's so, man, so you're uh I mean you're 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 bringing up a lot of albums that uh that Paul and I hold very near and dear to our yeah, heart. Yeah. yeah. So this is super on uh, not not super unknown, this is uh, down on the upside, uh which that's has right. so my favorite song is Rhinosaur and uh, Burden in My Hand. Burden in my hand is like my go-to song for anything. Burden in my hand is a that's a classic track, man. Yeah. It's it's so good. Oh, 
Also, now, what also, do those stage names? Also, blue, blue of the outside world is, is oh, my yeah. second one. Yeah, so this is a set yeah. list for anybody who wants to know. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, don't but, forget uh, about don't forget about pretty news, man. Yeah, pretty news oh yeah, like a, yeah, yeah. It's an awesome I, song. I mean, there's got to be one one or two songs more that I completely forgot. But they got they got an awesome catalog. You can't you know you can't really uh, you you're bound to forget one or two songs. Sure. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're bound to do that. Yeah, yeah. But, That's um. I remember I listened to that particular record a lot when it came out and uh, being a Soundgarden fan, I had Bad Motorfinger, I had um, Super Unknown, of course. And so when Down on the Upside came out, it, it felt different to me, right. um, especially to hear like a lot of the ballads on Down on the Upside, which are arguably some of Soundgarden's biggest songs, oh, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. But from a person who was like, man, you know, like I love, you know, spoon man and then you hear blow up the outside world at first that's kind of weird you know what i mean or or even burden in my hand like that's kind of a funky transition but there's so many singles that came off of this record i mean i'm sure those guys are cash and checks to these to this day Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> right. Well, see, Soundgarden started as a, as a pure metal band, if I'm right, correct, or or where you like rock rock band, because 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 if you listen to Super Unknown, and then down on the upside, it sounds like two completely different different objects here. I, I say that all the time. Yeah. But you touch down on the on the early Soundgarden stuff. You don't know this. Maybe you do. Soundgarden is probably Paul's favorite band of all time. Nice. It's... Yes. Yes. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that this like we have the opportunity to talk about this sure. because so I love the down on the upside record, yeah. but I, it took me a little while, and um, I would say that what's you know I don't know I, it did what that was 1996 right I think that came out 96 96 97 yeah yeah so I I did it strangely it took me a little longer to warm up to that well no I can't say that it's strange. Because I, Soundgarden is the only band that I deliberately went out and tried to get everything they ever put out. And I'm talking about like the Screaming Life FOP stuff, the Ultra Mega OK record, the Louder Than Love record. I got everything I could get my hands on. You know, like I played a song that from, I, I think it might be on Ultra Mega OK. It's a song called Circle of Power. Have you ever heard Circle of Power? It's wild. It was sung by their, the bass player that they had before, Ben Shepard. Right. And it's it's like a pop track, dude. It's nuts. Mm. So uh, I, I really do like some of their even, like earlier raw stuff. And down on the upside, by the time I got to that, after Bad Motorfinger and Super Unknown, I think it was just that I became so attached to those records that it was a little bit slower. It took me a while to warm up to it, but I ended up loving it just the same as all the others. Nice, nice. Well, I got one more album, and then and then we'll uh, I'll, I'll 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 ask you some more questions if you don't mind. This is this sure. is amazing. This is awesome. Okay, so do you prefer Elvis? Or the Beatles. Oh, and there's a reason I why I can't choose. I can't choose. I love them both, man. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I, I I would go with the Beatles because I. Ah, uh, man, that's you're right. That's tough. 
Gone to my head, dude. I gotta go Beatles. Yeah, I would go with the Beatles too. I not that Elvis is bad or anything like that, but Elvis to me represents a generation prior to even the Beatles. Well, they were listening to Elvis. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's it's so far removed for for me at this point. Um, you know, hearing the hearing Elvis sometimes is almost like hearing, you know, like big band swing or something like that. You know, it's kind of like, oh wow. This is this is well, then, well, well. Who would have been before Elvis Sinatra? Exactly, if not at the same time. Yeah, you overlap, know, overlap yeah. there. Yeah. Okay, so the so, reason why I oh no, go ahead. I was just gonna say. So all that to say, I would go with the Beatles first. Beatles. Okay. So I'm I, I I'm like I'm like I'm Paul here. I'm kind of torn between because my mom loves Elvis, my aunt Molly loves the Beatles, right? Yeah. So, I do love my mom, but the aunt takes it, okay? So, <laughs> this album is genius. Genius. Yeah, Paul understands me right now. <laughs> yeah, dude. And uh, I, I want to say that uh, this, okay, so it's not my favorite album, but it does have my favorite song, Let It Be. Okay. If that, you were gonna have a favorite song by the Beatles, man, that, that's a pretty good that one. That would be the one, yeah, because uh, uh, this, I for some reason that song transcends me into a whole different realm of life. I guess if you would, you know, I mean, yeah. it's sad, it's happy, it makes you really think about life in general, you know. So, it absolutely does. That's, yeah, that's it absolutely my, does. Yeah. One of those songs that gives you a feeling that, and I think, but we, you know what? Wow, I didn't even didn't plan this or anything like it just kind of is happening when words fail music speaks man that's my podcast yeah yeah there's there's you you listen to a song like that james and there's no word for the feeling that it gives you it's just you know it's it's its own experience exactly i've got an interesting story about that particular song the first time i ever went to new york city um, just kind of walking around <clears throat> and happened to go into Central Park and it was the anniversary of John Lennon's death mm. and I had stumbled into Strawberry Fields <clears throat> at that time and there had to be dude thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people gathered there singing Let It Be and it was one of those like I heard it as I was walking up the street and I just kept walking towards it and walking towards it and walking towards it. And I, I didn't know what it was. And once I got there, I realized that they were all singing in unison, Let It Be by John Lennon and the Beatles. And I had just stumbled into Strawberry Fields. It was right, awesome. Right, exactly. Yeah, so that's that's the final showdown. So thank you all very much for uh, helping me out. I guess you all loved it, didn't you? Yeah, the yeah. final showdown. That's great, dude. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty good, uh-huh. dude. Nice, nice. So, uh, but back to your band, um, Pathos and Logos. Um, we all are strictly a instrumental band, and so okay. So when you were cre- were were thinking about this band, um, did inspiration of like Joe Satriani, uh, Gary Hoey, or Steve Vai, like, did you want to be like like them, or like did you have your own path of like? How how did this come up? How did this instrumental band, you know? I mean, because God will have a singer, and that's great. You know, not 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 all songs require a singer. Um, yeah, that's true. Not all songs require a singer. Um, I, 
for us, it ended up being that it just got distilled down to the two of us, honestly. Right, we okay. didn't we didn't make the conscious decision just to be, you know, a two piece. Right. Um, we had started out when Paul and I first met in New Jersey, we there was we were a three piece uh, and we had a singer. Um, and it was a lot like what you hear now, just maybe more thrash uh, inspired, yeah. much more death metal. Right. Um, and then from there, we moved to Colorado and we had another band with a bass player and a lead guitar player. Um, the, the lead guitar player is Mikey Stansel from Allegion. You may or may not know him. Uh, so he had better things to do than kind of like hang out and do our like shitty prog band. And then our bass player, uh, he actually got hired by Tesla, man. So he's not Tesla the band, not Tesla the band, because no. that has that has happened repeatedly where people think that he got hired by Tesla the band. No, he got hired by Elon Musk and moved his family to Sparks, nice. Nevada to go work well, for Tesla. Well, he's That's doing right. very good for himself. He's doing awesome for himself. But, uh, but okay, so Joe Satriani or Steve Vai, that, okay. that, I mean, did that have really like a good class module or just sort of like, like an instrument only band? I guess that's my, I mean. Gotcha. So what's, what's funny about all that is we get those questions a lot. And what I'm about to tell you is probably going to make your head spin, man. I didn't take a solo or a lead until about two or three years ago. I, I had never done it. I was always the rhythm guitar player. Right. I was the di I was the dime bag Daryl dude. You know, like I could I was gonna hold down the rhythms. I was James Hetfield. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, to tell you that either Steve Vai or uh, Satriani influenced either one of us in this particular situation would just be kind of like, I know it sounds crazy, but it just didn't happen, man. At, at least not in terms of deciding to do instrumental music. Obviously, right. they're both fantastic, iconic guitar players. Totally. Yeah. But that wasn't the, actually neither Satriani or Vi were really an influence in uh, in the musical direction that we chose. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because I found because I, I find instrumental to be the perfect asset in my life. Because yes, on one side you do have lyrics, but on the other side, instrumental music makes you think about what you wanted to say or something. Does that make sense? It, it, you know what? It does. Okay. And, and actually, that's one of the things that, uh, as we began to grow it and develop the style, that we began to realize and that we're kind of steering into. We want to cultivate this. We, we want good, strong, singable melodies, memorable melodies in all of our music. But because there are no words in the songs, every person who hears the song gets to sort of infuse it or color it with their own idea or their own feeling. Right. That's a big, you know, we, we um, I'm sure that you could probably see from our Instagram page uh, that in addition to the music stuff, we also kind of have a little bit of like an esoteric or occult thing going on. And some of that is available for public consumption and some of it is not. Why? Because ultimately a lot of that stuff is for us and we don't want to dictate to people how they should be feeling or yes. how they should be interpreting what they do. As Kyle kind of likes to say, we like the kind of choose your own adventure approach. Right. So. I do. Okay. So, um, is it, uh, so initiation is on your album now, which is cult. That's right. Yes, I got it. Yes, okay. <laughs> because sometimes I'm, you know, I, I sometimes I miss um uh quote your the the albums 
But to me, that's that's probably my favorite song ever that you all have have done so far because the way that you all made that song, and I think that this song had to get rewritten again before mm-hmm. is what I read in your um, bio. That the song starts out with the uh, sentence, I think, and uh, to me that sounds like a very uh, um I don't know how to describe it because uh to me it sounds like a like it's like coming out of something very good, okay? And then... I'll take minutes, it. <laughs> and then a few minutes later, you're back in the, like, the metal world, you know? Which is great, too. Because mm-hmm. you have to have both, you know? We can't have, we can't have light without darkness. We can't have, you know, good without evil. It, it, so, yeah, so, to, to me, that sounds like a song coming from a Doom game, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> to be honest with you. Oh, that's awesome. But, but, the, uh, yeah, that, that uh, cult specifically, we were in a headspace where we wanted to put out a heavier record. So right. the other tracks definitely have a little bit more of like an overt metal leading. But Initiation, uh, even it being reworked and uh, having specific things done to it to make it fit the narrative of the album, definitely harkens back to some of the material on our previous record, Glory to the Order. Right, right. It's a little bit more connected. Uh, and that's something that uh, it brings us great satisfaction to kind of work into our music and showcase are those kind of sonic peaks and valleys. We don't necessarily want to be like the battering ram the entire time. You know, we definitely have some battering ram material on cult, mm-hmm. but... Um, right. I think we naturally sit a little bit more frequently in that kind of bouncing back and forth, walking between the worlds. So that is the cover of Coat on their wall on the on the center item, right? Yes. So, um, who? So, who did art? Because I think that's like that's like fan. You did the art. That'd be me. Yeah. You're an artist. Okay. Wait, wait, <laughs> wait, wait. Okay. So you're an awesome artist, and you. Uh, um, uh, I read also that you engineered for bands like God Forbid and uh, Black Dahlia Murder. Is that true? Yeah, okay. yeah, that is correct. I, uh, when we were kind of talking about some of the previous albums, uh, I, I think that's for me, like the production on albums, especially some of these classic ones that we were talking about. Uh, growing up as a kid, I just always paid a lot more attention to how they sounded sonically. And uh, even though I didn't play the instrument drums specifically, like I would just notice how drums would sound better when certain people would record them, like Terry Date or Bob Rock, for example, uh, compared to others. And so, yeah, uh, that that was my, that's actually how Paul and I met. Um, I was working at a recording studio in New Jersey uh, named Tracks East um, with an engineer there named, uh, or a producer, I should say, uh, named Eric Rachel. And uh, Paul would come in kind of as a session drummer and stuff. So that's that's how Paul and I met. I was working on, I think I was working on the God Forbid Four record or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Paul happened to come in through the studio. We met, and I, I forced myself on his on his band at the time because <laughs> I didn't have any friends. All I did was oh. work at the recording studio. <laughs> yeah, you work, you shower, go home, get back to work. I have that experience right now. All I do is work and work on this podcast and go home. You know. Do the same thing over again. That that was my life for. <laughs> I mean, let me think about this. So, two thousand, I moved to New Jersey in two thousand four, and I moved back in two thousand ten. So, for six years straight, all I did was 
work on metal records for 12 to 16 hours a day. I mean, Paul, Paul can tell you, like, there would be, like, months where he wouldn't hear from me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to call it, I don't know, if it, I can't remember exactly what I called it, but, like, going under or something, man, just, like, dictate, Kyle would take these social deep dives, because, I mean, literally, you know, a lot of the work that you had to do, you're lining up, you're literally, like, organizing, tidying a, a, a track that Shannon Lucas did, you know, for a Black Dahlia record, you know, I don't know if anybody briefed you on this, but uh, that guy plays a lot of double bass. <laughs> so, you know, so you don't necessarily have the time, you know, hours and hours of work. Yeah, and for what it's worth, uh, my lack of time and dedication during that period, Paul fired me from our first band. <laughs> Did you? Well, I, <laughs> oh, you gave me the shaft, right? Uh, <laughs> well, no, the great irony being that uh, the I ended up leaving that band the, uh, like a matter of like weeks later. And then we started the three-piece band shortly after that, that Kyle had referenced when we had the singer, a band called, this is real, the name of the band was We All Have Day Jobs. <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, as, you know, had a lot of the, the wisdom parts, the interesting rhythm stuff, but definitely more of like a thrash and death metal element. Our buddy Max was the singer for that band. Uh, shout to Max. Shout out Max, yeah. And um, to this day, Max remains my personal favorite death metal singer. And I think that Kyle would back me up. Yeah, I'll back Max, uh, back Max up. I'll, I will attest to that as well. Matt, Max Lichtman is the best death metal vocalist out there. For, for us, man. I know. I'll, I'll, I'll challenge anybody. I'll fight somebody, dude. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, yeah. he's, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah. He's he's awesome. Max is absolutely on the same level as any of the top guys, that, you know, or uh, women or anyone who's out in the game right now, who's doing death metal vocals. He's just a champion. I got to throw this out there. So you had mentioned the song Initiation before, James, yes. and we're talking about We All Have Day Jobs. The heavy <laughs> riff from Initiation is a We All Have Day Jobs riff. Oh, wow. So you, yeah. brought the, you brought the oldie boogie back, right? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that appears in a song, a We All Have Day Jobs song called... Uh, is it To Create the Need? I think need? it's To Create the Need, yeah. Yeah, one of the riffs from To Create the Need made it into initiation. Sure did. Nice, nice. Well, you, you can do that when you're harvesting from your own bed. It's true. <laughs> true, yeah, yeah, you can, yeah, you can. So, uh, so Kyle, going back to work, to work with God forbid, how sweetheart is a guy of Doc Coyle? Oh, Doc's the best, Doc, man. man. Doc, Doc's... Doc I, is a real sweetheart. Um, I mean, for what it's worth, dude, all all those guys are really, oh, yeah. really just yeah. nice, down to earth fellows. Uh, you know, God, God forbid, was a always a pleasure dude. to work with. Um, they never made it difficult. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. uh, and dude, we still keep in touch with Doc to this day. We've been on his podcast. Uh, nice. Our music's been on his podcast a couple times. People tell us all, quite a bit that they heard us on the X Man podcast yeah. and. Uh, yeah, look at where that guy is now fucking playing in Bad Wolves and shit, oh, right? Yeah. Okay, we, saw so, Corey, we saw Corey last year. So. Yeah, we just saw Corey last year. That's true. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, because yeah, I, I had an honor to see God forbid back when they were touring the world constantly. And they put on a great show. And I, oh, yeah. Okay, okay. so have you heard of the, of, of the band called The Wedding Band? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah the Fox cover band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw them with 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 Kurt Hebbett. I'm like, why is Kurt Hebbett coming coming to Columbia? Because I live in Columbia, where nobody comes really. And um, I'm like, why in the world is Kirk Hebbett coming down to Columbia, South Carolina? Let me buy the ticket right now. 
That's awesome, dude. Thank you know you. who else is coming to Columbia, South Carolina? Please say you. Yes. That August twentieth, dude. August twentieth. Is it that uh, Art Bar. I've never been there. Well, guess what, dude? I'm coming to see y'all and remind y'all. Yeah. 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 So we can talk about more music that way. So that would be awesome to meet y'all. Cause I'm like, damn, why did why didn't they come down to South Carolina? And lo and behold. Here we come. Yeah, here you come. Yes, sir. Coming for you, James. For yeah, yeah, yeah. We were just yeah. talking about that because we got to get the uh, that show gets announced next Tuesday. So that's right. That's right. So, so I have the insider on it, don't I? That's right. Yeah, I should be the first. <laughs> you're yeah, the first yeah. one, bro. The first to know. Awesome, awesome. Well, can't wait to meet y'all. Um, but that's cool. Let's do. But I still have uh, like two more questions left, if, if you don't mind, and then I'll let y'all yeah. um, go eat something because I know y'all oh, hungry. Yeah. Uh, um, so uh, okay, so Glory to the Order came out um, in 2020, May 1st. That and sounds then, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, Colt just recently came out. Or yeah. So between 2020 and 2022, um, did you, did did this album Colt take a little bit longer to make? Because I I, I read that it took about like six months to make. Is that true? Or or, or, or or about that? It, it cult took a little bit longer. We had been touring on the cult songs for probably about a year. They've been, you know, they, they were recorded, they were mixed and mastered and everything. And we, the part of the reason why cult took a little bit longer to produce James is because we invented an album format. We came up with a new format. We call it a codex. It's in a tarot card style. You can see this is the cover. Uh, it's five cards, the cover plus the four tracks. Because, uh, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're like you, man. You know, we, we have such fond memories of these albums that we listened to back in the day. And you know just as well as we do, there is a ritual to it. You know, you're yes. opening up the album and you take out the liner notes. You're looking at the art, reading the lyrics and stuff. And so we wanted to create something that was going to put an emphasis back on the uh, the cover art or the, the album art. But we needed a format that was going to be compatible with the way that people were listening to music en masse. Right. We, I, I feel like I've said this in a lot of interviews recently. Your phone is the record player now. Your right. phone is this is the radio. There it is. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Look yeah. at that. There you go. Thank you, James. Thank you. Yeah. But uh, but we've got the cards with the QR codes on the back, and yeah. you could scan it and listen to it on your phone, man. Yep, and for people who are more into vinyl, like you, for example, we also offer it in a coffee table book where you get the larger high-resolution images and the artwork, but you still it still gives you the unique QR code, so you scan it with your phone, and then it's either Bluetooth to your, to your stereo system, or maybe you're in your car. It doesn't really matter where you're at at that point in time, but you still get to enjoy the art in a large-scale format. Right but you're interfacing digitally with whatever your home stereo system is. Right. The, the main reason why I'm, uh, I'm upset about the digital age now that we're in is you don't have a personal experience with the album itself. Mm -hmm. As Mr. Paul said right here, you can't take it out of the package. You can't see all the cool artwork inside. It can't, it comes with like, with the, like, like a lyric sheet. You can't get that on the phone. Yeah. You know? And it, and it's missing its 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 
personal experience for me, personal experience from you. And I just dig vinyl, you know? So, yeah. Uh, James, we are right there with you, man. And I, we, I have to say that as being one of the central motivators behind devising the codex format was bringing back, finding a new way that you could bring back the importance of holding the physical talisman in your hands, you know, being able to admire art that, you know, giving you that cool feeling in conjunction with the experience of listening to the recording. We wanted that back, man. Yeah. So, and, and the way we kind of like the way I was putting it before is how do you tie analog and digital together to interface, right? So I, I guess what I, I would pose the question to you, you love vinyl so much, but you want to take your vinyl on the road. How do you listen to your vinyl in the car? That's true. You can't. That, you that, can't. That's when you buy CDs. <laughs> there's Bing. another, there's another physical, yeah, 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 yeah. Because many, well, many cars now don't, don't have a CD player. Okay, so, so like, you just took the words right out of my mouth. That's a perfect segue. Plus, right. the artwork that you get from a CD is is shrunken, right? It's like 4.75 by 4.75. Right. So we thought, how do we maintain the visual and the tangible aesthetic of vinyl, but tie it into your digital? So for us, you can take a codex on the road with you. You can sit in the car and look at the full-scale 8 by 8 eight version of the cult recording but then scan it with your phone and it throws it to the car and now you're actually experiencing it on a full scale level wherever you're at it's not that we don't like vinyl it's not that we don't like cd love vinyl love cd yeah Yeah. but ultimately we like art more yes yes very yes exactly exactly yeah because i find it very um I like to see the individual's artwork, you know, no matter who the artist is, I love artwork, you know, I mean, because I, because, um, I'm sure you've seen, uh, um, Death Leprosy album, Great oh, yeah. awesome, awesome artwork, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't think you can get, get that sense of feeling without it being physical or, or like you said, with the, with the codex, with the, with the code. Yeah. And how do you, I mean, how do you really connect when you look at your phone and you get the little like avatar, you know, quarter inch by quarter inch square and you're like, oh my gosh, let me blow it up. That looks awesome. And then you put your phone down (laughs) or or you're like, you're instantly distracted because you've got a notification on Instagram or Twitter or you got an email or a text message, right? Right. So it, it just diminishes the value of the art associated with the music to practically nothing. So for us, we we put so much thought into how can we tie digital to tangible or analog and make it the best of both worlds. Right. Well, this was our this was our solution to the problem. Nice, nice, genius, genius. Y'all guys are <laughs> geniuses. Uh, so I have one more uh, question before y'all go in. This might be the might be the hardest question I had for you today. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> are you ready? Yes. Ready. <laughs> All right, so, this podcast is called When Words Fail, Music Speaks. That can be anything further from the truth. I want to know from each of you right now, what song or album do you go to when you're feeling down and depressed and it just gets you right out of it? Is there one song that means so much to you, you can't tell me or Paul or, or Kyle how it makes you feel? The 
there are, I consider myself lucky that there are several records um, that can kind of that pull me up, you know, draw me out of that space. And I feel like Kyle and I talked about this somewhat recently. It's interesting because you would think that you would go to a record that's intrinsically positive to try and elevate yourself. But there's a record that I like a lot. Again, that the, 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 the words fail or the music speaks. It's actually, it is a, a vocal jazz record Ooh. called Ch uh, Chet Baker Sings. And Chet Baker, this uh, jazz trumpeter who had this really smooth voice, he sings a bunch of uh, classic jazz numbers. And it's it's a little bit, it's melancholy. His version of My Funny Valentine, it comes in and he's singing it, it's sort of dusky, comes in with the bass guitar, the upright bass, and there's definitely a mood. It's kind of sad, it's a little morose. But somehow going to that place with that record brings me right out of it. And I, I couldn't tell you what it is. Right, right. Yeah, it's so deep in your soul, you know? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I'll get, I'll, I'm going to give you two because, and they're diametrically opposite songs, but um, I guess you could classify them both as sad songs, right? But they make me feel better for whatever reason. So the first one, this might sound funny, but Desperado by the Eagles is like, Oh God. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like every time I hear that song, I think about my dad and it just makes me want to cry, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, this is going to sound weird, but something I can never have by the nine inch nails on the first nine inch nails record. It, every time that song comes on, I have to listen to it all the way through. Yeah. It's something like hauntingly eerie about the melody and the simplicity of that song, which is probably the same thing with Desperado, because when you think of Desperado, it's a piano and a vocal line and maybe sparse drumming. Maybe. I mean, yeah. if, if at all. If I mean, at all. I don't have any right, direct yeah. recollection of the drums. Yeah. So I think when you strip songs down to, you know, the barest they can be, and it's just this like raw emotional nerve, those are the ones that do it for me. But so specifically, Desperado by the Eagles and then Something I Can Never Have by Nine Inch Nails would be my my song. Yes, sir. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you all very much for coming on. And anybody that's listening, uh, thank you, you can go to pathosandlogos.com for their website, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Yeah, I will leave you a link on your YouTube. Fantastic, fantastic channel, y'all. Uh, so it's pathos.lego, .logo, I almost said lego, that's okay. <laughs> pathos.logos on Instagram, and yep. Facebook is just pathos and, and logo. Eagles and then something I can never have by Nine Inch Nails would be my, my song. Yes, sir. Yeah. Nice. nice. Well, thank you all very much for coming on. And anybody that's listening, uh, thank you. you can go to pathosandlogos.com for the website, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Yeah, I will leave you a link on your YouTube. Fantastic, fantastic channel, y'all. Uh, so it's pathos.lego.logo. I almost said Lego. That's okay. <laughs> pathos.logos on Instagram. And yep. Facebook is just pathos and, and logos.